0: Welcome once again to my Nostalgia Podcast. This is Jack's Throwback Attack. Hello there, thanks for listening in again. It's interview time once again and this time around it's someone who has solely written for children's TV rather than appear on it. Lots of iconic shows from the past are discussed in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm pleased to have with me today a writer, Lee Pressman. Hello there. Hello. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, down here in London, it's uh, been a very nice sunny day.
0: Indeed it has, not been too bad up here as well um, in Wolverhampton, so all good, all good. Um, I have to say actually, I think this is the first time on the podcast I've had anybody who predominantly has written for children's television rather than appear on it, so that's, that's something mm. different and that's going to be exciting. So um, I suppose i better start off with the beginning, how did you get into writing for children's television?
1: Well, um, I watched a show on telly many years ago called Playaway. And it was a, I thought it was great. Brian Cant was very, very funny. And Floella was on it. And um, I just really enjoyed it. And I don't know why, but I just thought I wouldn't mind having a go writing for that show. So I sent them a bundle of unsolicited stuff. There was there was jokes, there were songs, there were poems, all sorts of stuff. And I sat back and waited and unbelievably, I got a reply back um, saying, yeah, thanks for sending this stuff. Um, we'll put it on our reserve file. We you know we might use it sometime. Um, but there's one joke we like so much. We're going to put it on this week's show and uh, we're going to send you four quid because the BBC used to pay eight pounds a minute in those days. So, that little joke was on playaway and then they said would you like to come up and meet us and talk about writing for the show and very exciting went up to the bbc and um was shown around and um i started writing for playaway uh which meant writing tons of stuff sending it in and they would pick what bits they liked you know yeah. um but yeah, when I look back on it now, I've was i I've got all the, you know, the paperwork, I, I was sending in dozens and dozens of songs and sketches and poems and, you know, I so say they were paid by the minute. So if you had a long sketch, <laughs> you were in the money, um, but yeah, it was great. That was, that was my first, uh, and when I started as well, it was quite exciting because they, they brought two new young actors in the show. Um, one was Tony Robinson and the other one was Anita Dobson. So that was pretty cool. I yeah. had lots of other great guests as well. Yeah,
0: that is pretty cool. That's that's a cool way to start. I'm not. You kind of wonder would anybody um, get a foot in the door these days just by sending unsolicited no, letters?
1: There would been absolutely no way you could do that. You know, this all happened within weeks. You know, I sent them some stuff. I got a letter back within a week. Um, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was you know, you know, I was, st- I was still, um, I was a teacher at that time. I was a primary school teacher. So this was part time, but you know, um, it was, it was fabulous to, you know, every Friday they would record live in front of an audience and I'd drive up to the BBC, drive into the BBC, <laughs> just park somewhere and then spend, um, Cut the hours wandering around all the other studios watching Doctor Who and Top of the Pops and whatever else was going on there and uh, end up watching Playwright. That would never happen now. The security, you'd never get in the door, you know.
0: No. Uh, I've no. had a few people tell me that, that they were able to wander around and stuff. But yeah, it's different times, very different times. That's very cool. That's a very cool way to uh, to, to break into it. Had you always, deep down, wanted to be a writer?
1: Yes, um, yeah, I was always really keen on writing and I thought I would probably end up, what I wanted to do is write children's books, uh, which I have done a few, but um, I got completely sort of sidelined into telly and um, I've done that ever since. But uh, yeah, I did always want to write and I did want to write children's stuff as well.
0: Good stuff, good stuff. Well, so Play Away was like your first uh, writing credit mm. in television. So I had a look at, um, on IMDb, what, you, what you'd written um, over the years. I was looking at some of the early stuff. Um, so it, it mentions that you wrote um, a few episodes of Butter Moon. Is that, is that true?
1: Yeah, uh, well, um, not quite. Uh, so just to carry on from Playaway, when yeah. I was writing Playaway, they were also making Play School as mm. well, and I thought, right, I'll have a go at getting into Play School. So I wrote some stories, sent them into Play School. This time it wasn't so lucky. They said, no, no we don't really want those stories. So I said, well, I don't, oh, well, I've got all these stories, so I don't know what to do with them. And on the other side, Rainbow was on, mm-hmm. so I thought, well, I have stories every day. I'll send them some. So I sent them these stories, and they started to ask me. Uh, they started to uh, use these stories, so it was great. So I was writing for Playaway on the BBC, and I was writing stories for Rainbow. Well, once I got into Thames Television, you know, Thames were doing all sorts of stuff, and that led onto a whole load of stuff. And one of them was Button Moon. Um, I didn't actually write the scripts for Button Moon, but each episode of Button Moon had a little story in it. And I got to write some of the stories that were in Button Moon. When Mr. Spoon looked through his telescope, he would see some story going. So the puppeteers on Button Moon, and funnily enough, I'd actually seen Button Moon because when I was a teacher, um, these puppeteers had come round to my school where I was working and they'd done a show. So I'd actually seen them before I'd even started writing for them. They just said, come round to our workshop. We've got all these random puppets. Um, choose whatever ones you like and write some stories about them. So I went round and I said, oh, they've got a camel. Oh, I could use that. And they've got some, um can't remember what else. Oh, anyway, yeah, they had a dog and a baby. And so I was Anyway, there. Yeah, so I did work on Button Moon, but I didn't write the Button Moon segments of the show. Yeah. That's fair enough. And two
0: iconic shows, really, uh, which are still fondly remembered.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Zippy and George were just my favourite characters. They were just a great double act. I even proposed at one time. I said, why don't we just do a spin-off sitcom of George and Zippy? But that never happened. But when you were writing Rainbow, they were I thought they were the, the heart of Rainbow. They were wonderful, you know. And, uh, and I, yeah, the guy who did the puppets, um, Ronnie LeDrew, who you probably have come across. Yeah. Uh, he's fantastic. I mean, I I, I still know him, and um, I've worked on various other things with him. He's fabulous. But, um, yeah, the original Rainbow crew, you know, with Roy, Roy Skelton doing the voices and Jeffrey Rod, Jane and Freddie, I, I still keep in touch with Jane now. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a fun show to do, you know. Uh, so being at Thames Television with those, the producers and directors of that show led on to all the other stuff I did at Thames, you know, cause once you were kind of in there, you, um, and I suppose the next big one after that was getting asked to come up with, um, what became Tebow, which, uh, who knew was going to run for nine years. And that came about because the, uh, the, the head of children's television, uh, Marjorie Sigley at the time, she was very into education and she said oh, it would be great to do a series of shows all about words and letters and all you know. Um, and the f- so yeah, how did it come about? Let me think which one came first. Was it tea? Anyway, tea bag was one of them. Um, there was another one called Words, 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 which was pretty unsuccessful to be honest. Um actually words, words, words it was it it's quite a funny thing actually because one of her ideas was to do a show about words and so they commissioned as I never happened no, they commissioned 13 half hour episodes and they had a writer who was going to write them all and of that's that's madness you know i mean have one writer going to do that anyway so they suddenly put out an appeal saying we need, we need writers desperately and they got in touch with me and said have you got any stuff left over from play away that we could use? (laughs) I said, yes, I've got quite a lot of stuff left over from all the, all the rejected stuff. So I started sending them stuff and I wrote new stuff as well for words, 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 but yeah, that was, um, that was how I came to meet Grant Cathro because Grant was my writing partner for years. And he was also bailing out words, 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 by writing lots of stuff. And, um, That show wasn't too successful, but it did lead me to meet Grant, which was obviously a wonderful happening. And I got asked by Marjorie to come up with the next, so that was the words one. Mm -hmm. The next part of her sort of major plan was to do letters of the alphabet. She said, could you come up with an idea for a letters of the alphabet show? And I I came up with the idea of uh, a little girl is on a board game. It's very Alice in Wonderland. You know, a little girl's on a board game. She travels through the land of T and the land of a and the land of whatever, you know. And uh, when she gets to the land of T, there's a character called Teabag, who's the villain of the piece. And yeah, they said, yeah, let's do it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a big job. You know, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm still I can't remember. I was still, t- yeah, I think I was still teaching at that time. So I thought this is like a ten-part series. So I contacted this guy I'd met called Grant Cathro and said, "Do you fancy writing this with me?" And that's how our working relationship started. And um, yeah, we went on to write ninety-four episodes of Teabag, featuring all sorts of amazing people. You know, um, you know, everyone from Bernard Breslaw to Glenda Jackson and Peggy Mount and all these. Lots of sitcom actors, Frank Thornton and Bert Kwok. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, So, yeah, Teabag was a really big deal. And then I gave up teaching at that point. And and that's when Grant and I, you know, started our long relationship, really.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. Yes, because you did write uh, quite a few series together, which I'll touch upon a little bit later Mm. on in the chat. Mm. Uh, Teabag is one of those series um, that is still... Very fondly remembered. I'm aware that it has had a DVD release, um, and um, when CITV had its uh, 30th anniversary in 2013, they did did uh, rerun uh, an episode as well, which went down quite well. Um, yeah. What was it like writing for um, Elizabeth Estenson? She played that role so brilliantly, oh. didn't she?
1: Yeah. She. We were so lucky, you know. I mean, we didn't have anything to do with the casting, <laughs> and on the first day when Liz turned up. Oh yeah, you couldn't have asked for anybody better. She was fantastic, and then we were equally lucky when and the little boy John Hasler turned up to play T-shirt because I mean he was only like eight, I think, and those two together were just fantastic. Um, obviously, they were the heart of that show. You know, their relationship, their ups and downs, and quarrels and arguments. Um, so yeah, they were, it was great, it was really great. Cause Grant and I were very fond of double acts like Laurel and Hardy. So, you know, having a little double act in the middle of tea bag was great. Um, yeah, Liz is, I mean, we were, I worked with Liz on a few other things afterwards. I did a, a radio series with her um, where she was a detective and um, she was a detective called Kitty Purwell and her sidekick was Tim Spall. And that was again, a great double act. Um, and a few other things. She's guest, obviously Mike and Angela, She turned up in, and I think she, I can't remember. She was oh, she was in another series I did called Poltergeist. But yeah, we we love Liz a lot. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, she did uh, some good good work there, and uh, yeah, she's fantastic in Mike and Angelo as well as uh, Mrs. Forks
1: Bentley. Which is Forks Bentley.
0: I have to get it right.
1: Bender right. <laughs> or, 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 or whatever. And my, yeah, yeah. You know, Angelo just called us something I different every week. Yes. You know?
0: <laughs> that's why I always have to think for a second yeah. as I say.
1: But it was right. it was a bit of a shock. Where, or not a shock because the, the beginning of Teabag was a, a bit troubled. There were a lot. You know, there were the there the, was the, the director of the first few first five series was a very difficult guy. And, um, it was it was hard working with him, but Liz, after I think five series, said she was going to leave, which was horrifying for us. And they said, "Yeah, no, we'll get somebody else. Don't worry. It's a, you know popular show because we're getting like five or six million you know viewers. It was incredible. And then um, Georgina Hale turned up. Now I'd seen Georgina in loads of like Ken Russell films and things, you know, playing obviously quite different roles. And Grant and I were really taken aback. We didn't, because her performance was so zany and off the wall, we couldn't kind of get our heads around it to begin with. But we ended up loving it. You know, it was so mad that, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was great. You know, by this time T-shirt was about seventeen or something. So, you know, again, it was a completely different, weird relationship going on there.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And am uh, I right in thinking because? My knowledge of teabag is, because it was a little bit before my time, mm. but I have, you know, looked it up online. Mm. Am I right in thinking that every series was different, different setting of some kind?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, every episode was. Um, so I'll have to send you, by the way, my DVD that Grant and I made a DVD where we reunited all the teabag personnel and okay. we filmed it all around here at my house over two weekends. And that might help you to see... because <laughs> we- <laughs> Is it, um, so, yeah, Teabag was a really unusual series in a way because each series was a quest, it was an ongoing quest. So, there were 10 episodes, but each episode was set in a different place. They were chasing around through time and space. So, you'd have a Roman episode followed by a cowboy episode followed by a French foreign So it it was incredible. You know, the, the, the the beginning and the end episodes were in the same place. And there were lots of scenes in the tea room. But other than that, every episode was different. So there were 94 locations. And because it was quite a cheap show, early on, Grant and I would say, we'd like to do one, I don't know, set in a forest. And the producer would say, great, but you'd have to use that forest in another episode um, because we can't afford to, you know, to do that again. So, so yeah, it was great. It was like doing um, a series of carry-on films. You know, we'd do a Roman episode and it'd be, you know, carry-on up the toga and then it would be, you know, carry-on in the Wild West and gangsters in the 1920s. It was fabulous, you know, but it was difficult obviously we, because the budget was so low and the sets, if you've seen the sets were so early on, were pretty dire, actually. They were just very flat, you know, but we justified that by saying, oh, okay, it's on a board game. That was the first series. But the next series was in something else. I think it was in a, a music box or something. And it went on. Every series was in a different kind of... There were all sorts of different things, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we were were described in The Guardian as being somewhere um, between um, Doctor Who and Blackadder (laughs) because of this, you know, the time and space and different historical settings. But it was really entertaining for us to write.
0: Good stuff. That's that's really cool. Um, so to, to move on to the next one, really, and I guess there was some kind of um, fancy element to it as well. Uh, Mike and Angelo, um, which is a show that um, I love, and of course Tim Whitnell's been on the uh, the podcast before. Um, what was the idea behind that show? Because it's very different.
1: Well, that followed on from exactly what I was just telling you. Um, because of this thing with Teabag, that every week was a different setting. The new head of um, Thames Television, um, who was Alan Horrock, said, surely we can do a show that doesn't involve so many sets. Couldn't we just do one that's set in one place? So we said, well, yeah, I suppose we could. It could be a house. Um, I mean, we didn't know it was going to go on for 12 years, obviously. So we said, well, if it's going to be in somebody's house, there's got to be some kind of supernatural or unusual element that we bring into the house. So that was how Mike and Angelo started. And I've got the original, the original premise is called Monster in the House, which obviously it wasn't. It got changed quite a lot. But when we first started, as far as Grant and I were concerned, Angelo was an angel. And he'd come to sort of befriend Mike who was lonely. Um that's why he called Angelo, you know. And in our own minds, we saw this character as looking like I don't know, a cross between, I don't know, David Bowie and Michael Jackson. He was going to be this angelic kind of figure, you know? So when we went to the very first read through, again, we had nothing to do with the casting. And there was this bloke there called Tyler Butterworth who said, hello, I'm playing Angelo. We kind of gasped because we thought, that's not how we visualize Angelo at all, you know? Um, But yeah, Tyler was great. And as the series progressed, people started to write about it and say, it's that zany alien, Angelo again. And we said, no, he's not, he's not an alien, he's not. And by the time we got to about the second or third series, we thought, let's just have him be an alien. We'd never said he was an angel, you know. So that's how he became um, an alien. Uh, But as I say, we never knew we were going to be writing in that house stuff for 123 episodes. So it was pretty, it was quite an achievement really to do so many different stories where we've hardly ever went out of that house. You know, we brought in all sorts of other incredible elements into the house, but we didn't really go out of it at all. And yeah, it got, you know, we had, so many changes of personnel over the years, you know, after two years, you know, Tyler wanted to leave and we thought, oh God, now what do we do? Well, we'll just do a Doctor Who and we'll sort of transform him into another, um, you know, uh, uh, into Tim Whittle, which was fantastic because Tim was just so lively and, you Know adventurous and imaginative, it, it brought a completely new energy to the show because originally the show you probably know. I mean, you've seen the first episode, it, I, it was more of a comedy drama, yeah. They didn't even have canned laughter. Um, they it's Thames insisted on using canned laughter all the time, so you know, it became a sitcom really. Uh, although there were some quite moving moments, you know, along the way. Uh but then we started to find, you know, other people wanted to leave, like various mics came and went, you know, and so we thought, oh, well, Mike's gonna leave now. What do we do? You know, we'll change Mike. Um uh and at one one point we had a series with no Mike at all in it. You know, another series we had a girl called Michaela <laughs> who was kind of Mike. And then, you know, Shelley Thompson, who was, you know, one of the obviously they're an original, she left. And, oh God, now you know, we've got to, well, luckily, we knew Katie Murphy, and we thought she was great, and we suggested her. And funnily enough, that last really? kind of trio of Katie and Mike and Angelo, I think, were the were some of the best episodes, actually. Yeah. Um, and so it did, you know, it got better and better. I thought, you know, as it went on, and those three, you know. <laughs> You've probably seen that Katie features in many of our shows because we do like her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was incredible. That it went on for 12 years and it uh, and it was running at the same time. I mean, Grant and I get together quite often and we say, how did we do that? You know, we were writing Teabag, we were writing Mike and Angela, and we were writing Spats simultaneously. Those shows were just on all the time. It was incredible, really.
0: Indeed, it was. Yeah, and um, I don't think there are many sitcoms or ch- especially children's shows that can say that they ran for that long, um, no. which is incredible. And it, like you say, with the, the the change of the cast, actually um, had a, a message. Um, I think on Twitter a while ago that described the show perfectly. Um, and I hope you get the reference. But somebody said uh, Mike and Angelo was the triggers broom of kids shows because of the yeah, fact yeah, that it yeah. yeah. had a different.
1: It was. Yeah.
0: It changed. Yeah, so I mean,
1: I, yeah. There was no to you. None of the original cast left by the (laughs) end of it, Um, you know. But by the end of it, you know, we had Liz Estensen living next door as Mrs. Fort Bentley. You know, we had some wonderful guest stars. You know, Christopher Lily, Ron Moody. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a story. Um, We decided one day we said, wouldn't it be interesting if Angelo's dad appears? What would Angelo's dad be like? And we thought for a while. We thought, what? And we somebody said. Norman Wisdom, it would be great, wouldn't that be great? You know, we said okay, so they wrote to Norman Wisdom and sent him the script of that episode, and um, we were a bit amazed because we we got a letter back from Norman Wisdom's agent saying Norman does not want to do this show. Um, he thinks it. He, he's read the script and he thinks it's too smutty. We went, what? What? What did he see in it? That we... um, but anyway, uh, that. Resolved itself brilliantly because we got Ron Moody, who was fantastic, you know. So, yeah, we had all these great people in, like we did in Teabag. We had lots of great guests and a really solid central cast by the end of it. Yeah.
0: Might be hard to pick one because you did so many, but do you have a favorite episode out of all those many? That oh, it did? god,
1: oh, it's, it's pretty hard. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, I, I shared the one, one thing because obviously, the, what I haven't mentioned is that Grant and I wrote together, you mm-hmm. know, and we sat down in the room I'm sitting in now every day for you know years, you know, writing teabag, Michael and Andrew. But as as it as the series went on and on, um, we said, well, why don't we just plan out the series, we'll plan out the stories, and we'll write six of them together. And then you go and write two. And I'll write two separately. We can save a bit of time. So that's how we worked it. We started doing that as well on Michelangelo. And, and to be honest, it got to a point where even though we planned out the stories, we we might write five. Well, Grant wanted another he he found he said he was gonna write Michelangelo with his old writing partner, Alex Bartlett. So he went off and wrote five episodes, and I'd write five on my own. Um the one that well, it's actually, it's fans it too, really. I wrote one about Hank Sinatra, the singing cowboy. And, um, I really liked doing that one because I like songs, I like music, and um, I, you know, Tim was up for doing. Obviously, the because he's so musical. So that episode I really liked, and then I was able to kind of bring it back in another episode where, you know, they were promoting the ice cream. So I think that those those two I, I did I did like actually very much. Um, and I've st- that do you remember that costume that Angelo wore that red yes. cowboy? Mm-hmm. i've got it upstairs oh gosh I, I inherited it and i have actually worn it while' at a fancy dress party um oh gosh yeah that that was good yeah
0: well it's funny really because um because um, obviously my cananjo finished in 2000 but i did have a videotape, um, which had uh, a couple of episodes on, and one of them being the um, the one with the with the ice cream. It Turns out, mm. I didn't know until much later was actually the very last very last show that was done. Yes. I never saw the first one until it appeared on YouTube oh. a couple of years ago. And um, they're both great, but yeah, the, the one where he promotes the ice cream and loses his voice and mimes to a tape mm. that's on the wrong speed is something that still now makes me laugh. Oh, it's did, really did. funny. Um, I think yeah. I mentioned to Tim that that was one of my favourite episodes as well, and he said he, he yeah. loved doing that one. It's a good yeah, one. Yeah,
1: no, I'm always trying to put songs into shows if I can get them in, you know. I mean, Mike and Tea uh, Teabag, we had loads of songs. You know, we were writing, I were writing songs all the time. We had a very good composer called Terry Trower who did the music. Um, I've gone on trying to sneak songs into everything, you know, from... Oh, well, Fine and Sam, all sort. Whenever I can get a song in, I kind of <laughs> try and sneak it in. But um, but yeah, Angela. Well, you know, because Tim was so musical, it re- I think there were a few musical episodes. But that one was the one that um, yeah, I was very fond of that actually.
0: Good. It's nice to know we have a similar favourite episode. We'll share the same yeah, favourite episode. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. So you mentioned um, just about Spats. So that started roughly about the same time as Mike and Angelo. Mm. Um, so that was um, so it's set in the UK. It was a, a burger bar that was Canadian run. One thing I've, I've noticed about Spats and the early Mike and Angelo's is there's a very... American kind of feeling. There's a lot of uh, uh, actors in from uh, uh, over the pond. Um, what was the? Cause that uh, that was quite unusual, really, wasn't it? What was the reason for him to
1: kind of have this very heavy North American? I, I just things. think Thames Television wanted to get into the American market and they kept on trying to put Americans in or Canadians usually, um, thinking we might be able to sell this show to America. It never never happened. Oh. But I think that was yeah, I mean we were, I think when we I can't remember, but I think when we first started my Canangelo, I've got a feeling that Rita and Mike had come to London from the north of England. I'm not even sure they were American. It didn't really matter. They they had to be, you know, out of their normal environment. I think as probably somebody at Thames Television said, you know what, make them American. (laughs) We might be able to sell this to America. That didn't happen. With Spats, they, well, that that was quite tricky actually, because they, they had, um, a a Canadian co-production so it was this This was not just Thames. This was Thames and a Canadian company doing it together. So obviously there had to be, you know, Canadians in it. And that actually made the first series of Spats really difficult because Grant and I in the UK wrote half the scripts and the Canadian writers wrote the other scripts. Then we switched script. We sent them our scripts. They sent us uh, the, uh, their scripts. They hated our scripts, and we hated their scripts. And I found an old letter the other day where the producer in Canada had said about Grant Nye, said something like, these guys are attempting to write a sitcom with no jokes in it. So that was the kind of, it was a real battleground. So they said, well, the only thing we can do is we'll send over to England our best writer, and he can sit down with these English guys and come up with something that we all... You know accept so they sent over this poor guy um and grant and i had to sit in a room with him for about three months while we went over every one of the 13 scripts and it was like pulling teeth it was so difficult because our the english way of writing sitcoms is quite different from the american you know i mean as you know um well Canadian, North American scripts are based on the gag. Everything has to be, you know, sharp, funny gags one after another. Whereas in England, you know, we have wonderful shows like, I don't know, 40 Towers, One Foot in the Grave, Father Ted. It's not all joke, 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 joke. You know, we like the characters and we like the weird situations, but this American guy was just, we need more gags, we need more jokes. So, the first series of Spats wasn't perfect, as far well as we were concerned. We were really hampered by this, you know, co-production. After the first series, they Thames said, we don't know, we're not going to do a co-production anymore. We're going to do it all ourselves. And they handed it over to Grant and I. And we reckon that was a pinnacle of our writing, the second and third series of Spats, because not only were we allowed to do what we like, we were allowed to do the casting, which was incredible. That is so unheard of. So we would write the scripts, we'd send them to a casting director uh, and she would choose six actors and we would audition them. So we had a fantastic time auditioning, you know, and during that course of auditions, we discovered, you know, one day we had a part for a guy who was, um, I think it was a scaffolder in one episode. Nim walks Reece Ifans, you know, who was completely unknown. He thought, this guy's brilliant. You know, we'll write him into it a few more times. The same thing happened with David Harewood. Fantastic actor, walked in. Um, he said, do you want me to do this in my, you know, London accent or my Brummy accent? He said, oh, do it yeah. in your Brummy accent. He was hilarious, you know. So we wrote him into it as Debbie's boyfriend, Derek. And then along the way, we just had some great people coming in, you know um everybody from Nicholas Parsons to Lenny the lion. But that, well, Grant and I always reckon that was the best. Cause those scripts were so, um, well, each episode had about four storylines running through it that would interweave and, you know, we were really getting into the characters and the situations. Uh, so we, yeah, we loved that show and um, we were very sad. It only lasted for three series.
0: Uh, It's very sad, considering the other ones ran for a lot longer. Um, So you wrote um, a lot of sitcoms back in the early days. um, And what I wanted to ask was, um, what's it like writing a sitcom for a a younger audience? Is it difficult? Um, Some may think that um, a grown-up sitcom is more difficult or clever to write than a kid's one. Is that the case, or is it just as difficult? I
1: don't think there's any difference, really. I mean, Spats, for instance, was shown in Canada at 8 o'clock in the evening as an adult sitcom. Um, Teabag, Mike and Angelo weren't so sophisticated, but a lot of the jokes and a lot of the things in it were, you know, adults, I think, appreciated. You know, um, really, Grant and I were just writing stuff that made us laugh. You know, we we were having a great time doing it. You know, we'd never obviously put in anything adult you know that were, but as long as the situations were funny and the kids could understand what was happening i mean everything i've ever done and most writers who've kids telly you know i think would say the same we we do put in a lot of sophisticated stuff because the best kids shows aren't just simple kids shows i mean i i love sesame street you know and so you watch sesame street and there's so many wonderful things in it for adults because you know parents are going to be watching it with kids and they're going to be bored rigid if it's just you know very very simple stuff so no I I think it's just as hard um to write stuff for kids maybe hard I don't know but we certainly um you know we 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 worked very hard on this stuff you know to try and make it as funny and interesting and new as possible
0: good it's it's nice it's nice when people put in the effort because um sometimes kids tv can be looked on as low effort or whatever and sometimes there is some low effort stuff out there but it's always nice yeah, when you get the stuff absolutely. that has had the time and the effort and the money put into it which is something that i, I don't think happens as much as it used to unfortunately but it's the way
1: i mean either the thing that you know the, the, the children's television kind of thing that really you know depresses me is the kind of when you resort to a ganj tank or covering, you know, covering people in slime and that kind of, you know, you've seen it so many times, you know, um, and we were kind of trying to write really interesting stories, you know, and some of them are quite weird, really, you know, um, I think they were quite, Spats, I think was pretty sophisticated, actually, if you look at some of those stories. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's funny It's just funny, really you say that. There's so much stuff I can remember from my childhood that involved guns, tanks. You do have a point, see what they were very
1: heavy. Well, I mean, it's I'm fun. just, you know, I mean, I know it's entertaining up to a point, you know, <laughs> um, but, you know, children's television has got that kind of, you know, sometimes it has that, you know, oh, it's just people messing around and, you know, being, acting like children. I think that's what it is, you know, uh, it's, you know, when presenters are acting like kids, I, I I find that you know not terribly interesting. Whereas you know the characters in Spats were adults. You know yeah. they were having boyfriend and girlfriend and money problems and all sorts of things. You know, uh, but even in Teabag and Mike and Angelo, you know, I still think there were some sort of interesting stories. You know. Yeah,
0: good, good. And I mean, we'll move on to um, some of your more recent stuff in a moment, but. Um, one one last thing I did want to ask is, you know, how do you feel that, um, you know, those early shows that you, that you wrote with Grant, um, h- how does it feel that like all this time later, people are still talking about them. If anybody does a conversation online about old CITV shows, chances are those three will be mentioned. And not only that, um, as I said earlier, um, when CITV did its anniversary about 10 years ago, they did repeat those shows and they trended on Twitter. So how mm. cool is that?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's great. I I mean, we always felt... Grant and I always thought, you know, we should be working for the BBC, you know, because the BBC is the company who promote their stuff. And when we started, there were hundreds, not hundreds, there were dozens of ITV companies. You know, there was Yorkshire Television and the Thames Television and East Anglia Television. And these companies were kind of feuding a bit with each other, you know, that they all wanted, you know, a share of money to make their own program. So I felt our shows didn't have like, you know, the BBC would put themselves behind whether it was like Tony Robinson doing Maid Marion or something like that. You know, the BBC would really get behind it and push it. Whereas we felt we were struggling a bit, you know, and Thames Television weren't really, you know, pushing it. So at the time we were thinking, yeah. Why aren't we, why are we doing books? Why aren't there videos out of this? You know, there's one, one video of teabag, you know, ever came out originally. Um, we, Grant and I were asked to write a teabag book, which we did, but there just wasn't that kind of push. So we always felt a bit neglected in a way. Um, so yeah, it's really nice years later that, you know, people are remembering it, but to try and get teabag out on DVD. I mean, it was a nightmare, you know, um, I spent years, you know, trying to get somebody to do that. And um, at one point, I can't remember who it was now, I think it was Fremantle or so, anyway, whoever it was said, yeah, we're not going to do it until we have like, I think they wanted like a petition with like two or 3000 names on it saying we want the DVD. And we did, there was, you know, there was a petition online and when it got to about two or 3000 names, I printed it out. You know, it was like a telephone door, it was massive, you know, and I took it up there and said, there you go, put it on the t." <laughs> there's, you know, it took so long, it was so difficult, you know, and finally they did the DVD. They got to series three of Bag and then said, oh, you know, I'm not doing anymore, which is very disappointing. Mike and Angelo has never been out on anything. There's never been a DVD, there's not been a video, there's not been a book or anything, you know. Um, Spats, there was a book but we didn't write it. Um, so yeah, it's great. I mean, it is great. You know, and that's why I wanted to do the teabag reunion DVDs. There was so much love for teabag. I said, you know, if we could get everybody together as many people together in one place, which was my house, and we'll have a great tea party, and we'll interview everybody. And um, it was fabulous. You know, we had both tea bags there uh, at different times. Unfortunately, they were never together. But you know, we had um, obviously John Hassler, lots of the cast, Matt Zimmerman, Jim Norton, who obviously Bishop Brennan from yes. Father Ted. You know, he was he was there. Uh, um, you know, the directors and the composers, the costume designer, everybody turned up, and we made this fabulous DVD because we thought they're not going to do it, so we'll do it ourselves. So, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's got a cult following, but kind of disappointing in a way that, you know, it didn't get that push at the time that we felt it should have had.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think me and Tim said, you know, it's surprising that um Michelangelo hasn't been considered for a DVD release considering its longevity. Um, mm. I was thinking, actually, when you were saying about Thames, that it survived the fact that Thames... Um, stopped existing at one point and it became Tetra didn't it really and and Carl Well what
1: happened was I mean Grant and I were on a high really you know we were working at Thames we had an office at Thames um we were writing to teabag Mike and Angelo and spat simultaneously and then one day we went into work and Margaret Thatcher was um doing this thing where she's decided to auction off franchises and everyone was gathered around a TV set, watching, thinking oh, obviously Thames will carry on. And she had this thing going. She didn't like Thames at all because they'd made this um, controversial uh, documentary um, about the IRA, which she didn't like. So she had it in for Thames. Anyway, Thames lost its franchise that moment and all of our shows were dead immediately. Teabag, Mike and Angela and Spats were just dead. So Carlton Television took over, they won the franchise bid, they were the new guys. And um Michael Forte, who was the new head of children's at Carlton, said, Well, we can pick one of the three shows that you've got on to keep going. And we were thinking, I hope it's teabag. I, I'm sorry, I hope it's spats, really, you know, but it could be tea. Anyway, he chose Michelangelo, and, and that's how Michelangelo kept going after the other two were killed off. Um, yeah, and it went on for years after that, but yeah, that, that was a real blow to Thames television when it lost its franchise and lost all those shows. Mm. Tetra was, um, Alan Horrocks, who was the head of Thames children's programs when that happened. And he left and started his own company, Tetra films and said to Grant and I come with me and we'll make lots more shows. So he took over, you know, making Mike and Angelo, and also we, uh, no, actually before that, I think we'd done The Tomorrow People. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we'd done The Tomorrow People, yeah, that was still at Thames. Um, So, yeah, we went off to work for Tetra Films and started doing stuff, and yeah, it was different. You know, Spats, which we loved, Alan said, well, we'll do a new show like Spats called Cone Zone, which was a kind of cheaper version um and then he said yeah we'll do a new show um like the tomorrow people which was called delta wave um, oh, and yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. so we you know i mean delta wave was a really good show it only lasted for 10 episodes but actually it was pretty cool actually um cone zone was pretty good but it was just like a cheaper version of spats you know and it was so yeah, we did we did tons of stuff with Tetra films, um, over the years. Some of it was okay and some of it not so okay. Not so okay was the remaking of Rainbow. Yeah. Which <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alan said one day, we're gonna remake Rainbow. And I thought, great, this is the chance to make Rainbow really brilliant. You know, um, I was the only person around who'd actually worked on the original Rainbow. So I got drafted in. Uh, It just wasn't quite the same, um, in so many ways. (laughs) So yeah, that didn't work. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, all of that stuff, you know, we were busy. You know, I mean, Grant and I were always busy. Alan let us do a lot of stuff. Um, But yeah, we were never going to get any stuff at the BBC. I mean, the BBC hated T-Bag. They hated the stuff that we were doing. And the odd time that we tried to get in the door at the BBC, we just had the door slammed in our face every time. So we just thought, sod it, we'll carry on working for ITV. Crazy.
0: But you got a lot mm. of work out of it for a long time. I mean, you just talking yeah. about the Tetra stuff. I mean, I'm aware that there was a a few of us as well, like Paul, to guess, and Snap. Was that the other one as well that you did?
1: Yeah, yeah, Snap was. Um, yeah, Snap was an idea that um, they thought. How can we use the Michelangelo house in another series? <laughs> um, and I didn't want to do it. I uh, I said I, I really don't want to do that show, particularly. Grant decided he would do it, mm-hmm. but then I was given the chance uh, to write my own sitcom, and that was how Poltergeist came about. I did that on my own. And I was, I thought it was really good, actually. You know, I mean, I it, it had such a rough treatment though. It was. When it came out, it was shown on different days. There was no, on a Monday one day, and a Tuesday another day. Then there was a bank holiday, so it was off. Anyway, it got quite good figures, and it got to the end of, there was only eight episodes, and they said, oh, we'll repeat it, and it will, you know, and they never repeated it, so it never kind of really, took off. And it was like, completely forgotten. But I I really enjoyed working on that. Um, And again, you know, we had some great guests, we had some wonderful people in it. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a really big disappointment for me that show actually. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, kind of all good things come to an end. And I then had a period where I didn't really do anything for a while. And it was getting a bit rough. and. I thought, I don't know, I'm maybe never going to work again. And then suddenly, I got into animation, yeah. <laughs> which I'd never done before. And suddenly, I couldn't believe my luck. You know, I got a gig working on um, Shaun the Sheet, The Secret Show, and Frankenstein's Cat, which were three brilliant shows. I mean, The Secret Show, I think it's one of the most brilliant neglected kind of sort of animations ever. I love doing that. But Shaun the Sheep was the first one. And um, so, yeah, that was great. You know, who wouldn't want to work with the people who make Wallace and Gromit? Uh, It was fabulous. So So I started writing scripts for Shaun the Sheep and I kind of liked doing silent stuff. And obviously that was silent. And after a while, the script editor left and I kind of took over as script editor and writer. And pretty much ended up being the head writer on the show. Um, And I loved it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, And then at the same time, I think pretty much writing these other shows, you know, Secret Show and Frankenstein's Cat, you know, which were both brand new original. Well, all those three were original shows. And um, yeah, but then once I got into the wonderful world of animation, you suddenly start getting out there's long running shows that have been going for years. So suddenly I found myself doing Thomas the Tank <laughs> Engine, Fireman Sam, and loads of these other shows that have been around for ages. And um yeah, I was suddenly king of the cartoons, you know. <laughs> um so yeah. That that's what I've been doing really, I don't know, probably for the last 15, 10, 15 years is yeah. all animation stuff.
0: Cool, cool. I did yes. notice that.
1: It's very, very different. You know, I mean, what, what is there's great stuff about it. I mean, what is different is that when you're writing Teabag or Angelo or whatever, you know, and you've written a script and then you go along to a read through and you meet all the actors and you have a read through, which is great. Then on the studio day, you go down to the studio at Teddington and you hang around with all these wonderful actors, you know, chatting to them, having lunch and everything. And it's a great, you know, you do animation. You can't hang around with Sean the Sheep or Fire and Saturn. You know, the kind of social side of it's gone, you know. Yeah. So I do try and go into the recording studio when they're, you know, when they're doing, the, you know, and so I do get a little bit occasionally of, you know, meeting up with the actors but uh yeah i kind of miss that social side of it
0: yeah do you find it easier to write animation or live action
1: scripts not really i I can't really say actually i mean they've both got their problems uh, but you know um i mean obviously in anim in animation you can do more wild wacky but then again you can't always because there's there's always restrictions i mean i'll give you an example um I wanted to do um, a, a Shaun and Sheep episode where there's a hot air balloon. Mm-hmm. And Albman said we can't afford to build a hot air balloon, so you can't do it. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. And then two years later, Wallace and Gromit are in the next studio doing um, a matter of loaf and death, and they say, we've got a hot air balloon in this film. Great, can we borrow? So I, I got to do it. You know, I mean, there's always going to be you know restrictions on what you can do and what you can't do but um, I guess you can do a few more wild things. I mean, no, the series I really was very fond of, I don't know whether you've come across Q-Poodle Five. Um, well, that is, I have, sorry. It's a really lovely series, Q-Poodle Five. It's set in space on a planet with, this, with a load of little aliens. And the design on that show was fantastic. I mean, it really was superb. So you could kind of do some great stuff in space and on other planets and things. So they just look great, you know. But at the heart of it, like all of these things, it was a little sitcom about a load of aliens, really. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> well, I, think a, I think that's a I think that's kind of thing. Um when I was first asked to do stuff like Thime and Sam, I thought, I'd oh, I wanna do that. You know, they must have done a million different you know, fire-related episodes about rescuing. So what can I possibly do if I come in, you know, 10 years into the show? And the head writer at the time said, yeah, but you've got to look at it as like a, a little sitcom. You know, there are a bunch of guys working in a fire station. And and when you kind of get that, he's saying, actually, he's right. It's like Dad's Army. You know, you've got a guy called Elvis who wants to be a rock and roll star, you know, you've got these funny characters. And so you start off writing a little sitcom and obviously there are, there has to be, you know, moments of adventure and, you know, where the fire engine goes off and does stuff. But yeah, they're all, I think all of them are like little sitcoms really. And, you know, if you, yeah, yeah you know, me you know, if you like the characters things. and you, you know, you can, you know, whether it's George and Zippy or whether it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've done, You know, every show's got its own little cast of weirdos and um, you know it's just fun
0: writing it yeah, yeah definitely and it's amazing that you can come up with so much stuff in a small area I mean there's always the joke about you know how many fires kind of small tiny village in Wales have but you know um, there oh. was the the original series in the 80s and 90s and then, and then it's yeah. come back but I, I was just thinking actually um, I, well it wasn't a children's show but it was the same kind of thing London's burning ran for Shows. I mean how how many fires could you do in that really but they still kept it exciting for 10, 15 years, however long that was. Well, I actually,
1: I actually did um, sort of take the mickey out of Fireman and Sam in one episode because, you know, there's a kid in it called Norman Price. Yes. He's always getting his head stuck in the railings and having to be rescued. So I did an episode called Record Breakers where he was trying to get into the... Because it's set in Wales, I hilariously called it the Gwyneth Book of Records. Um, so he was trying to get into this... By, and he kept doing these crazy stunts, like balancing on huge mountains of baked bean tins and stuff like that. Um, and at the very end of it, he was disappointed. He 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 ended up hanging off of a bridge, you know, and Fireman Sam had to rescue him. And he was very disappointed because he hadn't managed to get into the Gwyneth book of records for some stunt. And Fireman Sam said, well, actually, Norman, you know, I've rescued you 459 times. So I think you do qualify for being the boy who's been most rescued. I mean, you can do that in shows. You can kind of take the mickey out of, you know, I mean, fireman Sam, there was a, somebody wrote a, a, a movie called, I think it was a, called The Great Fire of Ponty Pandy. Yes. There was a massive fire in the town and they had to evacuate. There's only about 12 characters in that town. So when they all congregated, you know, down by the beach, you know, you've got to laugh, really, because, you know, there would have been thousands of people, you know...
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's amazing what they managed to stretch out of a a show that's set in such a small area. Um, I also do have a lot of people who listen to the stuff I do that are big fans of of Thomas and and, and Friends, Mm. and I always get nagged that I don't really bring it up much. (laughs) I I watched it when I was very little, when it was the original Mm. stop-motion, Ringo Starr era, so I'm I'm a bit out of the loop with it, I'll be honest. But I did see that you have written quite extensively for it. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah, that was an interesting one because years and years and years ago, before I ever got into animation, um, I was invited down to, I think it was Pinewood studios where they used to film the original one with the proper, you know, it was like the biggest train set in the world. It was fantastic, you know, and they were looking for writers and, Unbelievably, I had actually met the Reverend Audrey, who wrote the books. I'd met him, I think when I was a teenager at some book fair, you know, he was signing books. So I, you know, I did have a kind of I didn't read the books as a kid, but I did have a kind of interest in it. So when I got asked if I'd write an episode, I was very excited, you know. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. These it was a five-minute episode. And every time I wrote it, they sent it back saying, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. Change this, change that. It was a nightmare. And I did this episode and it does exist, but I was never asked to do it again. And then, I don't know, but 15 years later, they got intact. They'd all changed by then. Everything had changed. You know, it had gone CGI, all the original people working on it. Were just, they said, would you like to write it? I'm not really, because I had such a horrible time the first time round, They I said, no, give it, anyway. I did start writing it and I really enjoyed it. Actually, It was really good fun. And, um, yeah, again, you know, if you, I know they're trains, but you know, you kind of get into it. And if you can come up with funny stories and I, th- I thought, I'd, you know, I, I, you know, you have to be imaginative. You look and say, well, they've done so many episodes. How can you possibly come up with something they have never done? I mean, I ended up writing episode number 500, <laughs> you know, um, But, yeah, I did did enjoy it. It was really good. And the CGI was brilliant. I know a lot of people love the old model, you know, um, version, the stop-go, you know, stop-motion thing. But the the CGI is brilliant, actually. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think I wrote, I don't know, about 25 episodes of it. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Good, good. Um, Yeah. Well, the one I haven't talked about, which I didn't write any of it but it was a very weird and interesting job was being script editor on mr bean okay it animated mr bean oh right that, um, yeah yeah so that was an interesting job because i i was because uh, of because i'd done all this silent stuff you know i'd done um you know sean and everything i got asked would i like to be script editor on oh, well to be honest i'd rather have been writing mr Bean. but anyway I had to go up and meet Rowan Atkinson and be auditioned really, you know, which was kind of weird. So I I met him and we were talking about silent film. It was great. It went okay, because um, I like silent films and he likes silent films. So we got on, you know, okay. So I got this gig. And I said, What does it involve? And they said, Well, you've got a little team of writers and they'll write scripts and send them to you and then you send them to Rowan, and he'll phone you up every week and tell you what he thinks of them. <laughs> okay. Um, to begin with, um, he'd just say, I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. He, I can't disagree with him. He was right, you know, a lot of the time, you know, but it was a very weird job for six months to have Rowan Atkinson phone you up every week and tell you, what a load of rubbish these scripts were. But he was right, you know, um, a lot of the time he was right, you know, and um he's, you know, he studied at university, he studied mechanical engineering. Yeah, uh, he would attack every script like it was a car, you know, taking it to bits and putting it back together again. And it was really interesting. It was, a, you know, as I'd much rather have been writing the scripts, but my role was you know, to go between him and the producers and sort out scripts. And, you know, by the end of it, he's hes not, you know, it, we weren't having great chats or anything, you know, it was very down to business, you know. Um, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed those calls and um, I think I learnt a lot. And after a while, I could actually say, no, I don't agree with you there, you know, and we would have a decent discussion about it. So, yeah, that was one of the strangest little jobs I had, actually. But... Uh... As I say, you know, it's all been animation for the last, you know, I don't know how long, so... A long time. A long, 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 long time, yeah, yeah, yeah. And long may it
0: continue, what have you been working on the the most recently?
1: Um, I've not been doing very much lately. The last big thing I did was, um, it was a French-American animation series called Taffy, about a raccoon they've started showing it funnily enough it's just started on um cbbc recently um it was it was yeah it was a weird show we were kind of making it uh an animation company in paris was making it and it was supposed to the, the idea of it was brilliant you know it was going to be like the new or like going back to old-fashioned warner brothers cartoons where people bashed each other over the head and blew each other up with dynamite which you can never do these days <laughs> you can't you know, even if you, you know, even on episodes of Shaun the Sheep, you know, if Shaun wanted to use a hammer or something, you know, he'd have to wear a hard hat and goggles, you know, for safety reasons. And you'd go, why? This is This mad, you know. Um, but Taffy was designed to be an old-fashioned Warner Brothers cartoon where, you know, a dog and a raccoon were spending their... It was like Roadrunner, you know, chasing each other around. Anyway, um, I did 20 episodes of that show... Um, and, uh, yeah, they didn't all turn out as with many things. They, the, the scripts, uh, the, the animators like changing things, you know, so a lot of stuff was changed. I don't think for the better, but it was a, you know, it was an interesting job to start with. Um, I think that was the last big thing I've done. I, th- th- recently I've been involved in loads of developing stuff that never gets made um i got asked by you know um jerry anderson yeah the Thunderbirds guy mm-hmm. his son jamie anderson was trying to get a new live action um drama teenage drama off the ground and i i worked on that developing that it was a canadian thing mm-hmm. Nothing, i uh, never heard, you know. Um, and the, the, yeah, loads of stuff like that happens. You get asked to work and develop stuff and it just disappears and never gets made. So I haven't got any budding new shows I can tell you about, I'm afraid. That's okay. Um, it happens. Uh, yeah. But you never know, you know, the phone could go tomorrow or not. And, um, you know, I should go back to doing books again. Probably publishing is as difficult to get into now as. um, TV, because I can't imagine these days ever being able to make a show like Teabag or Michelangelo, where we, we just didn't have any interference, really. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a producer and a director, and they would have their views and we'd make changes. But nowadays, you're kind of working with committees of people and focus groups and all sorts of different people, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, Definitely. So I to, I to, yeah, I don't want to end on a downer. But, um, <laughs> no, have not at all. Not, you know, things have changed, very really much. Well, yeah.
0: They have indeed, and you're not the first person to say on on the podcast. Oh, okay. But it's oh, been good, uh, good. It, it's hmm. been lovely to hear all the you know the great memories of those top shows, and you know, I wish you all the best in the future, and uh, hope that you know some more okay. work comes what uh, comes your way. Yeah, thank
1: you very much, and uh, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. Well, nice to meet you anyway. Nice to and meet you too. It's been really good. Enjoy. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Well, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks very much. Bye, Jack. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: A big thanks to Lee for sharing his memories and also a big thanks to Videotape FTW on YouTube for helping make this interview possible. Well, that's it for another episode. There will be another interview coming up very shortly. I'll be back very soon. Until then, goodbye.